Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Many of us have said things along those lines or have been told that as we are going through something that doesn't make sense and it's helpful to have a reason behind it. And I think that many of life's circumstances that is applicable and it works. Think about statements like, God does not give you anything you cannot handle. This must be part of God's plan. This is a test that will make you stronger tomorrow. When do one door closes, another door will open. So you see, they sound, these statements sound uplifting, and they are encouraging, which they are, and they can apply to many of life's realities. But they are also problematic. I think everyone can acknowledge quickly that life is not perfect, and we shouldn't expect every single thing to have a happily ever after. And yet the way we pursue how to live life is with an aim to have many more sunny days, bright, shiny days. And when things go wrong, it shakes us to the core. So we take out this toolbox of truths because we have to understand. And then half-truths can come to the table, which is a nice way of saying false things. Truths that get misconstrued, again, another way of saying it's false ultimately. And again, it's because we're trying to make sense as if, if it's going to happen, it better be for a reason and I will add, for a good reason for us to accept or justify. So in a sense, I may quickly say that life isn't perfect, but I sure act like it needs to be shiny and sunny, and when it's dark, it better be for a good reason. Let me give you an example of when something bad happens for a very good reason. I think of when I, my girls were babies or toddlers and they had to get a vaccination. So we go to the doctor's office and they are amused by the distractions of the colors and the games of how they check their ears and their vital signs and the physicians are funny. And then they turn their backs, go to the counter, and they prepare the syringe. And then when they turn to give me the signal as the parent to go ahead and hug my kids, but the hug is really a way of holding them down to restrain them, to dominate with my power to hold her because something's coming her way that she's not going to like, that she hasn't welcomed. And sure enough, that pinch, as it's often described, or that sting like a bee, takes place and I hear the plea, the cry, the holler, mom. And then there may be crying and screaming. And that, and that 
cry out of mom. It's, it's implying, mom, protect me. I am not okay with this. It hurts. I don't want it. I'm not ready for it. It's against my will. Where are you, mom? How come you're not helping me on this? And then after that ordeal, which never gets any better after the first kid, by the way, what do I do? I explain to them that this vaccination is going to help them be healthier and stronger. That today's pain prevents them from getting a, a fatal, a disease, a bacteria, a virus, tetanus, whatever it may be. And ultimately, I say, this today will make you stronger tomorrow. See, a lot of life can be explainable and consequential. There is a cause and effect in many things. There's reactions to the first actions. But then there are these freak accidents, traumas, abuses of many sorts, loss, death, uh, miscarriages, suicide, the death of a child, of a baby, natural disasters, where we witness or we experience the loss of everything. When we watch how hundreds of thousands of people lose their lives and or lose everything. How do you explain that? How do I say the loss of a child, the loss of your teen, your son, your daughter, must be because God needs an angel. How does that make sense? Life has inexplicable, unimaginable atrocities that we experience or we witness. And then we ask, where is God? Why is God letting this happen? Kate Bowler is a professor who studied and believed and appreciated the prosperity gospel. And she even wrote a book of how to live a blessed life. And sure, she acknowledges that life wasn't perfect. She had to work hard for many things in life. And she even shares of the difficulty she and her husband had for years in having a baby. But yes, for them, eventually they do have a son, Zach. So she talks about how for many years, for most of her life, with a certain belief system, she believed that uh, life is about living a best life and that um, things can be fixed and that there's a way out to move on. Then at the age of 35, Kate receives a diagnosis of stage four colon cancer. And prayers were lifted. Support was overwhelming, even if it was inappropriately given, but it was there. And the toolbox of truths and half-truths came to the rescue. And nothing, nothing 
change the diagnosis. And it didn't take away the pain. Life stopped. Everything changed just like that. Think about, or I've thought about, that tsunami in 2004 in Asia. Where was God when hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives? And then I think of the stories of, a, of specific uh, personal stories, families who, who just happened to decide to take a vacation of a lifetime that week and were there at the beach at a resort. There were newlyweds who had just finished taking that covenant, that vow before God and witnesses. And then they go off to their honeymoon and life was lost for both. And some, a spouse, watched the other die. How do we explain that? The persons of, of that community, the, the local residents who were working an ordinary day, working to care for their family, gone. Where is God in all of that? Life unravels and things just, just don't make sense. The prosperity gospel is an attempt to explain the problem of suffering and evil. So much of the prosperity movement sounds and feels encouraging invigorating, inspiring, like it's attainable. If you do this, you can actually expect God to bless you. Just wait for it, name it, claim it, and it's yours. And when it's not, or when it's yet to be lived fully, it must be that we're not working hard enough or that we are not deserving at this time. So then it talks about this indictment that is deserved. It talks about having the faith of a mustard seed. Plant it, wait for it to flourish, and it will be yours. So much of that is found in the word, and there's truth in that. But then there's also Psalm 13. Let us read Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy and adversities be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The writer of this, King David, wrote this kind of psalm and many others while he hid in a cave trying to save his own life from the danger of death. When we walk into darkness, 
it's hard to see a way out. We can't see where we're going and we can't see how we're gonna get past this moment. And when we grab the tools, they don't seem to help. So we are completely disarmed, completely vulnerable, helpless. And truths like Philippians 4.13 don't seem to fit. That's the verse that I love, that maybe you appreciate. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here's the thing. We know verse 13. Do we know verse 14? Do we know verse 12? Verse 14 continues with Paul saying, in any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. What distress? Look at the life of Paul and that whole chapter and the whole book of Philippians, much of it is written while he's shackled in jail, many times waiting to die. And he mentions that in verse 11 and verse 12, sandwiched with that I can do all things phrase. And verse 11 and 12, he talks about, I know what it's like to be left to die and have nothing at all. How do we make sense of that and share my distress and in between, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The danger of taking one small sentence or one verse, zooming in in, pulling it out, out into a context, and then indoctrinate it to make it a belief system. It won't work that way. Romans 8:28 won't work that way. Jeremiah 29, 11, about how God has plans. It won't work that way if we lose, if we dismiss the bigger, the full picture, the full story. So we know something to be intrinsically good or bad. We know something about what is intrinsically love and freedom. Think about love. We can force someone to do exactly as we say, but that does not mean that it's fruition or it's a way or we can make them love us. That act is a contradiction to the very definition of what love is, of what freedom in choosing to love, in being engaged in commitment with someone else. It contradicts its definition. So remember that the disorder first came into our midst as a result of freedom being misused and a loving relationship broken. So when that disorder came into our midst, love and freedom remained and remains, but now so does the need for healing, for rescue, for salvation, for redemption, the presence of pain, suffering. Why? Because now the story of life unfolds in one within a broken world, a fallen world, as some may say it. We have brokenness to grapple with. So with that in mind, this is more of the heady stuff. 
if we want a life without struggle, without choice, then we want a life without unconditional love. And without love or unconditional love, is it really life? It's a half-life. It's not a fulfilling life. It's a meaningless life. So how do you know that you are deeply, unconditionally loved? Based on what? How can I describe, how do I know for sure that I am being loved no matter what? What is it that usually helps us know that love won't change because of the struggles? Do you see how the definition of unconditional love cannot be contradicted then? And struggle and pain is part of now this story of life. So, okay, so, so what do we do with pain? Everything happens for a reason. Many things happen for a reason, but not everything. Many things happen for a reason, and many things happen. And the truth is then, life is hard. Life is, is beautiful, there's beauty, but life is hard. Another truth, life is fragile. Out of nowhere, things can be turned upside down. There was nothing you could have done differently. There was nothing we could have done to avoid it. And that is a reminder then of how beyond our control so much of life it really is. It reminds us that we don't have as much control as we hope, as sometimes how we act and think we do. Parents, we can't protect our children of everything that is bad, but we must help them deal with the reality. Truth, another truth, life is full of mystery. Some things can be explained, but life includes mystery. There's many things that is beyond our understanding. And when we seek reason, when we seek a, a, a meaning to make sense, it's almost like we're trying to alleviate the pain. But even for things that we have a, a reason for, it doesn't alleviate the pain. So imagine those unthinkable, unbearable, painful realities. Seeking the reason does not take away the pain. Another truth, suffering is not meaningless. It matters. Pain, brokenness, suffering, the effect of sin matters, and it matters to God. Hear me on this. It matters to God, and it matters to God so much that he gave his only son, for God 
so loved, here's that love thing, and here's the unconditional love thing. For God so loved the world that he, here's the sacrifice, that he gave his begotten son so that everyone who believes, here's that choice, here's that freedom to accept, so that everyone who believes may not perish but have eternal life eternal life. Here's a little bit of that mystery. I know maybe a little bit, thanks to this, of what is yet to come, but I am yet to truly, truly live it. John 3.16 encapsulates that truth. Another truth, love is greater than suffering. So often it is the only thing that we are holding on to. For many of you, love is the only thing that gets you to get out of bed. And sometimes it's the only thing that gets us to breathe. Again, I think of the loss of a child. Love is greater than suffering. Trusting God through the mystery of life's happenings is a hard mystery to live with and live through. But when we do turn to God, we can see how Jesus endured and conquered death and suffering. And through Jesus, I can at least imagine and understand that there is more beyond what I can comprehend. And listen to this, and there's more beyond the troubles of this life. So find community in it. Don't face life's troubles alone. Turn to God and turn to people who will be there with you. Not say so much these half-truths or try to make sense, it, sense of it for you, but be there with you. When we sing, it is well with our soul. The author himself reminds us with his story. He lost his family and he didn't write this song because he was living a sunny, bright, beautiful, easy life. But because he discovered a deeper meaning in life and held by God in the most painful moments in his life. To sing it is well with our souls is simply more of a declaration that we are holding on to God who transcends but is with us all at once. So I invite you to sing this as a prayer. I invite you to 
decide to participate with us through this kind of conversation in just about two hours or so at 11 o'clock we're going to have zoom available for you to jump on and have a discussion and dialogue about this later in the day at six o'clock a couple of us will be here and we want to keep it small and intimate we're offering different times throughout the week please check out the website for those times because life is hard and life is meant then to be done together to be done in communion with God to trust to hold on to persevere to hurt to heal to grieve to wonder God bless you <laughs>